0: Kia ora, g'day and welcome to the history of Aotearoa New Zealand, episode 29, AMAA 2019. So yes, we have come to the end uh, of 2019, which is not only the end of the year, but it is the end of the decade. Uh, but more importantly than any of those other things, uh, is that it is the end of the first year of the history of in New Zealand. I actually recorded the first four episodes of Hans on the 31st of December, so at least the time of recording is not quite the first year anniversary, but you know close enough because apparently i had nothing better to do um than sit inside and record a podcast that i had no idea whether it was going to be any good um real late at night um on new year's eve slash new year's day because i think it changed over to january 1st at some point Anyway, as you will of course know, uh, I have been calling out for questions uh, over the last sort of couple of months or so uh, to answer in the final uh, episode of the year, uh, which as you might have again guessed, uh, is this one, uh, given I'm recording it basically three days before New Year's. So, so. Yeah, so you guys have sent in a whole bunch of questions um, for me to answer in regards to myself, uh, in regards to the podcast, and some other just kind of random ones uh, that I'm not sure I'm going to (laughs) answer, but yeah, so just kind of a bit more of an informal episode, Uh, you guys get to know me a bit better, um, because it is kind of important. Uh, not just it's not just a fun thing that I thought we could do but it is kind of important to kind of get to know me a little bit I think uh, you know you get to know my biases a little bit and my background as well and all that kind of stuff uh, just because that might uh, impact how I perhaps word certain things or maybe even slightly Uh, impact how I portray certain things and that kind of stuff. Of course we do try to keep it as impartial and unbiased as possible uh, but it is, you know, it's important to know those things as well I think um, just because it can have a very minute impact um no matter how much uh you know you're trying to minimize it bias is always going to come through it's it's kind of unavoidable in some regards um so it is a bit of that kind of more serious stuff Um, but it is kind of just a a fun dumb thing that i thought we could do because i didn't want to start the new episodes uh until next year um so i needed to fill in the gap (laughs) if i'm entirely honest um so yeah, so you guys have sent in a whole bunch of questions, which was quite funny to start with. Um, it seems that the Hans Farno is the kind of people that run by the uh, philosophy of due today, due today. Uh, because I, have, I did put out this call about two-ish months ago um, to try and give people the opportunity to kind of come up with questions and send them in um, gradually over that two-month time so no one missed out or anything like that um for those of you that did send in questions the majority of you majority of you sent them in within the last couple of weeks (laughs) so i don't i don't know what that says about you uh if i'm honest (laughs) so this episode is going to obviously be a bit more uh informal um as you will have already seen i'm adding in all the ums and the r's and all that kind of stuff that i don't normally have uh, in the regular episode because it's all going to be vaguely unscripted um you know obviously i've read the questions and i have thought about them a bit so i do kind of know how i'm going to answer them um but it is going to be mostly just kind of unscripted so there will be uh you know arms and all that kind of stuff so you know there's that uh so the questions aren't in any sort of uh, kind of particular order other than i've grouped them in terms of kind of subject right so there are ones that are about uh you know that that are more related to me personally uh, you know ask question. you know it's a question about you know who i am uh, questions about like history or about the podcasts um you know that kind of stuff so it's, it's just kind of vaguely grouped so that we're not jumping from subject to subject all over the show so without further ado um, let's start with the first one Um, these first questions being all about kind of who I am um, and a bit about me our first one is can you tell us about yourself like where did you grow up your family fun things you like to do and places you've traveled Um, so let's 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 break that down um where did i grow up i grew up in invercargill which is a city right down the bottom of the south island so it's actually new zealand's most southern city uh, but it's also actually new zealand's most western city as well uh, because if you kind of look at uh, how new zealand is kind of shaped right the the whole thing kind of you know it's not straight right because people people don't realize that invercargill is new zealand's most western city because they just kind of think it's the most southern they go yeah it is the most southern but it's also the most western because uh the way that the south island and the north island kind of work right the 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 north island is kind of like a curve shape um and then the south island is kind of like on an angle i mean that that's not how like maps and shit work but if you get what i mean you know it's not a straight up and down north south line right so the bottom of the south island is actually more west of the entire north island um so uh, invercargill is actually New Zealand's most western city uh, as well. So Invercargill is the kind of capital city, if you will, um, of Southland, or Mirahuku, as it is known in Te Reo Māori. And it is kind of, Southland's kind of got this reputation uh, similar to that of the American South. It is full of, um, you know, bogans slash rednecks, um, has a bit of a reputation for, um you know marrying your sister and that kind of stuff um obviously doesn't doesn't actually happen or at least doesn't happen as far as i'm aware um but you know it's kind of got that that kind of um backwater kind of reputation if you will um so you know there's that um and we also have um the thing um of rolling our r's uh, which is something that you don't really see kind of anywhere else in the country uh it kind of you do kind of see it in the kind of south of banks peninsula south of christchurch um but it is kind of a a, it it is associated very uniquely with southland um what i mean by roll my r's is uh with certain words the r's are kind of extended um so the the classic line is purple dirty work shirts um which for anyone who's from overseas that won't mean anything um but for you guys who are from new zealand um and aren't from southland or even if you are from southland that will be very obvious uh, versus the more kind of people who are from auckland you'll hear them say purple dirty work shirts again if you're from overseas you potentially can't pick up the difference there um but for, for kiwis that that will be a, it's a very obvious difference um so that's very ed, other end of the spectrum is purple dirty work shirts you know that's very exaggerated um whereas where i'm from it'll be purple dirty work shirts um and that's not me putting that on that is just how i talk um so it gives it a bit of a uh the, the podcast a bit of a a feel (laughs) if you want to call it that um so yeah so i grew up in invercargill um which is a again here's another fact for you invercargill is named after the guy who um the architect or town planner who planned it out his name was cargill um and we because it was, uh, the Invercargill was settled by primarily Scottish immigrants. Um, the Inver, which is the kind of uh, prefix you see in some Scottish towns, like places like Inverness. Um, we took the Inver apart, slammed it against Cargill's name, and we called it Invercargill. Why? I have no idea. But that's apparently what they did. In terms of family, uh, it's basically, um, you know, the usual kind of stuff. You know, I've got a, a, a mum, a dad... A brother, and that's that's about it, really. Um lots of other obviously uh you know, cousins and aunties and whatever else on the periphery. Uh but not much to be said there actually. It's all that's all quite boring. Um fun things you like to do. Uh this <laughs> uh talking to a microphone like a dickhead. Um so obviously the podcast is um something that I do for fun um it is something that i you do as a hobby um so that there is that um but i also um play a lot of video games right i used to i don't anymore. uh the podcast takes a lot of time now Uh, but i do that um quite a bit you know play a bit of video games when i can um do a bit of reading Uh, that isn't related to the podcast um just so i'm not being super boring (laughs) you know just reading history books all the time so read a bit of fiction and that kind of stuff um and other than that um i like to you know occasionally get out into the bush if i can although that tends to be a bit more difficult because you've got to actually kind of plan a bit and that kind of stuff i don't tend to do anything too intense in terms of uh you know overnight hikes and that kind of stuff physical fitness isn't quite there yet (laughs) um but, you know, getting out into the bush, getting out um, into nature a bit, you know, that kind of stuff, I do quite enjoy that uh, as well, as well as all the kind of usual, you know, I like going out to the pub and, you know, getting wasted, well not wasted, but, you know, going out, having a few drinks, you know, that kind of stuff, hanging out with mates, uh, having barbecues, you know, that kind of thing, um, you know, all very kind of kind of typical, I don't know, like things you'd see on on someone's dating profile or something (laughs) you know i like to go on adventures and laugh like of course you do like who doesn't like to laugh like who in your life do you know that laughs and go wow i hate that i mean just yeah whatever anyway places you've traveled um this one might surprise you um not very much at all actually um i have traveled overseas probably yep twice twice in my life um both when i was very young uh the first time was to england uh went to england for a thing uh and that was when i was 10-ish years old um we did a whole bunch of things there that was pretty cool uh a lot of stuff that i didn't appreciate at the time uh like we went to was it lancaster castle or something i don't remember uh it was a big castle i remember we went there that was okay um again didn't really appreciate it at the time uh because i was 10 um and we went to legoland and some other places as well did appreciate that at the time um and we also came back through uh los angeles and went to disneyland uh which was pretty cool as well um and the only other place I've been to is of course Australia um I went to the Gold Coast once sometime like maybe in my early teens at some point I don't really remember that either um but yeah I went to uh, Australia on the Gold Coast which is where all the uh kind of theme parks are and that kind of stuff um and it was pretty cool as well um again probably a bit of stuff there that I didn't appreciate at the time um but I probably would now um but other than that um i have not traveled very much at all um in terms of at least overseas travel anyway uh, outside of new zealand um i don't travel too often within new zealand um i have obviously made my way up in the country um in terms of i was as i just mentioned before i was i grew up in in invercargill uh, but i now live in wellington which is the capital city um at the bottom of the north island so what ended up happening was I left Invercargill went to university in Dunedin um and then um after that moved a bit further north for a bit and then after that uh, moved to Wellington so yeah so I've gradually made my way up the country in terms of I guess uh gradual travel um but yeah I don't tend to travel too much uh outside of uh that except for sometimes for work um I do I have done a little bit like by little i mean like a minuscule amount of travel when they tell me they need something (laughs) so yeah so i do a little bit i haven't done well i do a little bit if required but i don't really do a lot um and that as you might expect being a millennial mostly comes down to the fact that i'm uh, have not got a lot of money a lot of the time um to do that kind of stuff uh of course yeah if i was motivated enough could i save it up enough to do it probably uh but yeah i i haven't i don't because uh, i spend it all on you people instead so <laughs> uh, not that that's that bad anyway but yes yeah, so i don't do i don't do a lot of travel um and i haven't done a lot of travel really maybe one day maybe one day right on to the next one which is how old am i a uh, very quick and easy one uh that may surprise some of you um and the fact that i am 25 so i am not i guess not that old uh so what is your day job Uh, I won't exactly tell you what my day job is, uh, just because I want to keep some slight amount of uh, anonymity, Uh, but in short, uh, I work in conservation here in New Zealand, Um, so I work in trying to uh, get rid of all the introduced mammalian predators uh, that we have here, and trying to get our birds and lizards and uh, insects and everything else to try and help them flourish. Um, So that's kind of where the the those first few episodes kind of come from or at least that first episode kind of comes from uh and where obviously the tuatara episode came from the hihi episode comes from and all those patreon episodes that are going to come in the future as well uh that is drawn kind of from my background in uh in conservation um both in the past and what i do now um as well as obviously research and that kind of thing as well but it all draws from that interest so that's kind of where that kind of aspect of the kind of I guess side path we've taken um with some of the episodes and and that's why you will also find that there's a lot of in some of the episodes there is quite a bit of um you, you know that kind of natural I guess natural world aspect that kind of natural history aspect you know that kind of stuff because uh for one it's because I'm in, I'm interested in it but also because I think it it really is uh, an integral part to how New Zealand was uh kind of new zealand culture maori culture that kind of stuff was it it, it, the natural world is integral to that because of how unique it is here um, in particular obviously it's very important in other cultures everywhere else as well but to understand uh, a lot of what happens here um, at least very early on um, in new zealand's history that is kind of integrally tied into uh, the, the environment and how unique it is and all that kind of stuff um as well so yeah so that that's kind of why there is that kind of I know I know that some of you have noticed that, that there is kind of a a kind of uh, native species and kind of natural history angle to um or at least flavor to a lot of the episodes and that that's why that's because I have a background in it and I have an interest in it and also because I think it's important as part of that as well um so yeah so that's kind of what I do uh when did your ancestors come to new zealand uh that slightly depends on whether you are talking about my mum's side or my dad's side because i don't quite know on my dad's side um but i know at least on my mum's side um they only came in the 60s 60s some somewhere around there so i'm uh, at least on my mum's side it was my uh, it was my grandparents uh, that came to new zealand so at least on that side of the family it is not uh it's fairly recent um their immigration to new zealand um although i think on dad's side it's a little bit older than that how much older though i don't actually know i don't know whether that goes back to like you know the europeans arriving in new zealand and you know new zealand company in that kind of era or whether it's more like maybe you know around the world wars or just before or uh, yeah i don't really know what what happens there so the only one that i know is that the, that my grandparents on my mum's side um arrived in the in the 60s ish do you have any pets? Uh, not me personally. No. Um, unfortunately, I rent a flat that does not allow dogs or cats or any sort of pets. Um, I suppose I could have a goldfish if I wanted, but I don't want a goldfish. And I'm not actually legally allowed to keep a tuatara. So, um, so no. No, I don't have any pets, um, unfortunately. I would like a dog. They'd be pretty cool. Uh, spill the beans on your favourite type of beer and brand. Um this is unfortunate because I actually don't drink a lot of beer Uh, (laughs) um, and that's for a couple of different reasons Um, I guess that I I do I would drink more beer probably than I do currently Uh, but the thing is I have I guess particular tastes about beer um, and that for a lot of uh, for a lot of people that I know uh, that's very disappointing because um, the beer that I like is basically what many people would call piss Um, because (laughs) Uh, up here in wellington they have quite a large craft beer scene um and i'm not really into craft beer i've never really been into craft beer it's just uh you know it's not my thing um so i find it very difficult to find a beer at least in wellington that i do actually like um and so i tend to stick to things that i do actually know that i like um which usually is cider i drink quite a bit of cider when i'm going out to the pub and that kind of stuff uh but in terms of what my favorite beer would be um i drink a lot of spates if i can uh, because that's uh, the typical Southland uh, beer. Um, and a lot of people will be very disappointed about that, and I'm sorry. Uh, actually, no, I'm not sorry. Uh, Spates is great, but only if it's on tap. Um, otherwise, if you get it in a bottle, it tastes like arse. So don't do that. If you come to New Zealand and you want to buy a Spates, don't buy the bottles. Get it on tap. Always get it on tap. Uh, but you don't find it very much up here, but, you know, and I get a lot of shit for it uh particularly from my workmates (laughs) about drinking spates and that kind of thing because they you know they think there are better beers and that kind of stuff but um you know you go down south you go to southland you know even in dunedin that's all the drinking is spates whole lot of spates right so our next one is do your co-workers know you run a podcast what were their reactions when you told them about it Um, So my co-workers do know that I run a podcast, um, partially probably because I won't stop talking about it, um, because it does take up a significant portion of my free time, so a lot of the times when they say, hey what did you do on the weekend, I said I did some research and recorded an episode. (laughs) So yeah, so they do know um, that I run a podcast, um, and they have known for for pretty much the entirety that I've worked there, um, because I started... Uh, Hans roughly around the time that I uh, got the job um, which is also why I moved to Wellington I moved to Wellington for the job so uh, so I started Hans moved to Wellington started the job all roughly around the same time which was um, a bit bit hectic and I don't really know why I ended up doing it that way but that's how it went so yeah so they've known for basically as long as I've been in the job um that I've, I've done this and that, that this is what i do um kind of in my free time and as a hobby uh as to what their reactions were um it was yeah shall we say it was <laughs> it was lukewarm um and part of that is because the the nature of the kind of i guess industry that i'm in which is conservation tends to attract people that are quite into you know walking out and doing tramps and bushwalks and, you know, getting out into nature and all that kind of stuff. And that, of course, is the sort of people that tend to be quite fit, quite active, quite into sports, etc. 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 Not the sort of people that tend to be uh sitting down, uh, reading history books or listening to podcasts about history. Um there's not a lot of overlap there. Um or at least I guess there's not a lot of overlap there. So when I told them Um, You know, naturally, when you're in a new job, people ask you, what do you do in your free time? And I told them, I run this history podcast. Uh, They, yeah, they they weren't rude. You know, absolutely, they were not rude. Don't get me wrong. They were very polite about it. Um, But they just didn't really get it, right? Um, Because a lot of them don't listen to podcasts at all. So that was a hurdle that they didn't really understand. Kind of, why would you listen to a podcast? Why would you listen to someone talk to you about something and that kind of stuff so i was already dealing with that kind of baseline hurdle if you were and then to kind of compound that they were saying well why would you want to read history books and talk about them and that kind of stuff when you already do this job you know it just sounds like more work right it just sounds like more effort more brain power when i get home i just want to you know flop on the couch and watch netflix for an hour or whatever and fair enough you know absolutely fair enough but yeah, they didn't really get why I'd want to do this and why I'd want to do this in my own time. So yeah, so it's not that they were rude about it; they just didn't didn't understand. Um, so they sort of went, "Oh, that's cool, as long as you're enjoying it," um, you know. And then we all moved on with our lives. Um, but what ended up happening was, as I sort of rose through the ranks, that's when they started to take more notice. Um, you know, I I came into work and would sort of go. They'd sort of ask, you know, oh, you know, how's the podcast going or whatever, and I say, oh yeah, you know, I've I've recently gotten to the top 200 history podcasts in New Zealand, and they were like, oh wow, well, that's you know that's nice, good for you. So it was still quite lukewarm at that stage, and then that sort of kept going on. You know, as a you know every now and again people ask me how's it going. Oh, I'm number, you know, number 100, number 50, and then once I started getting into i guess that kind of top 25 range that's when things they sort of started to take notice a bit more i'd go oh i'm number you know i'm I'm number 15 go, oh wow that's interesting but then they go oh, but it's still you know number 15 in the history podcast list you know you still there's still a bit of a niche and then you know i'd go now i'm number 10 and i go oh wow that's quite good oh, I'm number two, and I am reckon that I'm a, not too far away from getting the number one, they go, oh, wow, that's good. And I came into work the same day that, or the day after that I got hit number one history podcast listened to by Kiwis, and I announced it uh, quite loudly in the office. <laughs> um, and that's, that's when, yeah, they were all, you know, they were all thoroughly chuffed um, for me, which was really, really nice. And... Um, so yeah so it wasn't until i started i i guess when they started realizing actually this was a pretty serious thing this was a thing that was gaining traction this wasn't a thing that i just did for fun and like only two of my mates and my parents listened to right this was actually a pretty serious thing that a lot of other people at least saw value in so that's when they sort of went wow actually he's doing pretty well for himself um so yeah, so that was really nice when they when they really started to sort of, uh, I guess, really realise that this was something that I was really passionate about and that a lot of other people were really passionate about as well. Um, so yeah, so don't again, I, I, it kind of, I'm really worried that one of my workmates is going to listen to this and then approach me in the office and sort of go, mate, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have said that. Don't get me wrong, my workmates at at no point were they rude or disparaging about about Hans it's just that as I said a lot of them don't listen to podcasts and a lot of them very explicitly don't listen to history podcasts so they just didn't quite get it Um, and I know a few of them have listened to it now um and they have said you know it was really good really enjoyed it that kind of stuff so don't get me wrong my workmates are very very nice people and i like them a lot um it's just that yeah initially they just didn't really understand and it wasn't until later on when actually it all kind of started to take off a bit that that's when they sort of started to kind of go oh wow this is quite this is quite a big thing so yeah all right on to things that are less specifically about me Uh, how long did you think about this podcast before you took the dive into making it what was it that made you decide to finally do it Uh, so in regards to this one I do speak about it uh, a little bit in episode zero Um, so I won't try to rehash that too much Um, so if you are interested in that I do give a brief summary as to why I started Hans Um, but to kind of the the way that I'm going to talk about this i guess is kind of give you a brief rundown of my kind of development of interest in history uh because that that's kind it's kind of all part of that right that's kind of uh it's kind of all linked into that so my first exposure to history was in or or learning about history was sometime in primary school kind of late primary school, probably year 4, 5 or 6, I can't quite remember when, that's uh, that's roughly like, uh, what's that, like year 5 is 10 years old, so roughly 10 years old is when I first got exposed to learning about history, um, and that was when we were learning about uh, Native Americans, uh, particularly I remember we were talking about the Sioux tribe for some reason, I do not remember anything else other than that, then we did learn about them. Uh, and I, but I do remember that, uh, I did enjoy that. Um, and then not long after that, uh, we also did, um, a kind of topic on ancient Egypt, which I also thoroughly enjoyed as well at the time. Um, and I don't remember much of that either, apart from the fact that there was probably, you know, we we're talking about pyramids and pharaohs and all sorts of other stuff. Um, but what I do remember from that kind of, uh, subject um, again we're 10 years old um, but they decided to bring in uh, a guy from Egypt uh, I guess one of the teachers knew a guy who's from Egypt who'd come over or something well, I don't quite know how that managed to happen but here we are a bunch, you know a 30 10 year olds and in front of them is a real live Egyptian and of course because we had been talking about ancient Egypt we're talking you know basically Ptolemaic period period backwards, right? So every basically everything Egyptian before Rome uh came to, you know, major power and so all of our questions were naturally kind of aimed around that things about pyramids and mummies and pharaohs whatever else the Nile that kind of stuff. And of course this guy being a modern guy from Egypt just <laughs> did not know anything about that he was so out of his depth um and this was partially because he uh didn't speak too much english obviously arabic was probably his first language um and yeah and so he's just uh, he's just trying to field these questions about just yeah like ancient egypt um and he frequently got the question are you a real egyptian to which he would go well Yes, I am. Um, but he, he, of course, didn't quite understand the the kind of uh, backstory behind that answer, or uh, behind that question, right? Because we weren't just asking him, are you an Egyptian? As in, are you a person from Egypt? We're asking him, like, basically, do you follow all those practices, beliefs, and everything else that we have just learned about? And I just thought this was very unfortunate for the guy, because, of course, this guy could have been anything he could you know he probably wasn't even a historian he was probably like a i don't know a doctor a lawyer uh you know anything he could have been literally anything a a computer technician uh i don't know maybe he like worked at the uh egyptian equivalent of eb games i have no idea you know like he could have been literally anything and he's gotta field these questions about you know Egyptian history and this kind of stuff and the, the bit that I kind of find the funniest about all of this is the teachers kind of very clearly did not kind of think about the fact that Egypt yeah it had a really long history with you know pyramids and pharaohs and whatever else but of course it had a also very long history after that that involved Rome Islam you know all sorts of other things you know that that You know he he because he you know he just lives in a different time period. He's a product essentially, as we all are, of our time and of our history. And so we're all sitting here thinking, going, "Wow, this is a real live Egyptian that practices all the Egyptians' belief." And it's like, no, he's a completely different guy because so much stuff has happened since since that period. So. Yeah, so that was a bit of a a bit of a funny story. So yeah, so that was kind of the, the first kind of exposure that I had to learning history and apart from those kind of stories, that's all I remember of it. And yeah, I never really, that's kind of where it stopped for a while and then after that, the next time I encountered it was when in year 11, so at this point I was about 16-ish, um, you know, you have to choose uh, your subjects for the next uh, year at school, in high school. And... I got put in the position where I couldn't do um, ICT, which is information communication technology, computer stuff. I wanted to do computer stuff. And there ended up being a timetable clash with like maths or something. And of course, mum was like, you can't do maths. Uh, sorry, you can't not do maths. You know, you have to do maths. So I was like, okay, well, we can drop ICT. I'm, you know, a bit bummed, but I can drop ICT. And so then at that point, there was two choices that could fit into that slot history or metalworking and that encountered a problem because mum was extremely adamant that i would find history boring she thought i would hate it because she hated it and she thought it would be awful and it would be so boring or whatever and i basically told her well it's either that or it's metalworking but she was so adamant that i ended up just being like whatever i'll just do metalworking then put that down and then went away in a huff and eventually eventually after talking it over, we both decided that, well, metalworking probably isn't something that I could do. Um, so instead uh we went back and changed it to history. Um and what ended up kind of the funny thing about that was Mum went to the uh, teacher in charge or whatever and basically said, Yep, we want him to change the history. Um but you know, mum kind of expressed the fact that she was concerned that I would find it boring uh, to which the teacher said the history teacher who teaches it has never had his lessons called boring and I think that's when when we both kind of went oh okay all right then so yeah so I went into my first lesson uh, in history uh, which was really really good I don't remember what we talked about too much um it was probably just an introduction um i know that we in that first year we did um the history of ireland irish independence specifically Uh, so things like michael collins de valera um those sorts of guys so we started out with that and in the first so a lot of it was setting up kind of i guess the british empire and kind of what it was who, who they are kind of you know general overview of kind of i guess the world and kind of uh you know, early 20th century, um, you know, kind of how the world was kind of made up and and that kind of stuff. And I distinctly remember the teacher asked, um, a question because we were talking about the British empire. What was the crown jewel of the British empire? It was called the crown jewel of the British empire. Um, and he was talking about a place, he was referencing a place and I don't know how in God's name I knew the answer but I had, I had just it just popped into my head and I put my hand up and he's like yeah and I said it's India and he goes yeah yeah it is India and I was like whoa and he was pretty impressed actually if I do say so myself um, particularly when you know the lesson was over uh, you know it, we spend the next 20 minutes talking about other stuff uh, lesson was over everyone's leaving and he pulls me inside and goes how'd you know that and I went oh no I just knew it Like I read it somewhere, probably, you know, and it was kind of from that point on that uh, I I I guess like I kind of knew something was up, uh, sort of in the back of my mind, and and the history teacher kind of knew something was up as well. Um. So yeah, so that was kind of the 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 very big kind of I guess catalyst um for learning about history and the interest in history because then i spent the next few years learning about history as you do learn um mostly european history um and i didn't learn any new zealand history whatsoever none N- absolutely zero um and that's mostly just because it was up to teacher discretion uh there was usually one i think there were actually in the three years i did history there was only one uh kind of time that we could have learnt uh new zealand some new zealand history Um, and for whatever other reason the teacher didn't choose that Uh, I don't know why Um, but yeah so I never learnt any New Zealand history which is of course one of the things that kind of sparked why I wanted to do this Um, so yeah so I got all through the school and then after that I went to uni um, basically doing constantly science stuff so history stuff just went on the back burner I had absolutely no time to be doing any history stuff Um, so I didn't really do any history stuff at all when I was at uni but then I left uni um, and after that yeah it was I, 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 I liked the as much as uni was hard work and that kind of stuff I liked the mental stimulation of being able to learn stuff of being able to read stuff of being able to you know constantly kind of keep moving forward expanding your brain yada 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 that kind of stuff and I kind of found that a bit difficult Uh, at least immediately after uni i i I didn't really know i guess how to look for it or what to do or you know i just didn't want to read stuff and learn stuff for the sake of learning stuff um so eventually um i've discovered history podcasts because i was looking for something to do on my walk to work it took me about like an hour to walk to work um so there was a lot of kind of dead time in terms of you know i wasn't doing anything wasn't learning anything or I wasn't you know nothing was going on i was just walking so i thought well why don't i try this podcast thing out and see what i can find i like history let's try a history podcast and that's when that's really when it all kind of kicked off it all really snowballed from there um i started with the british history podcast and i absolutely fucking slammed through it um all just under 300 episodes at the time um absolutely smash through it and then the history of rome and then the history of byzantium and then something else that i probably can't remember i just absolutely just slammed through it um and yeah and by that point you know that was that was my my kind of mental stimulation that was kind of the um you know that's what i really like you know that was just how i i, I learned stuff now was through podcasts and, and listening to history podcasts and that kind of stuff and then one day A few years later, I wondered if anyone had done a New Zealand one, had done a similar thing like the British History Podcast, History of Rome, History of Byzantium, that kind of stuff, you know, a chronological history of New Zealand in podcast format, um, like all those other podcasts had done, and I thought, surely we're a reasonably major ma- landmass, we've got four and a bit million people, four and a half or whatever million people, nearly five million people, surely someone has done it, surely someone, ha- surely I am not the first person to have this idea, is what I thought, lo and behold I, it seems like I may have been, <laughs> um, because as as you can probably guess, I went and looked and I couldn't find one, Um, at all Uh, the closest I found was the New Zealand history kind of lecture series uh, which was pretty irregular didn't really you know wasn't really chronological obviously um, and was just it was just recordings of lectures you know it wasn't actually what Hans has become now um, or what I thought I wanted to find so that was um, you know that was a whole thing is I couldn't find it and from there I was just disappointed and then just didn't just didn't really think too much about it but eventually over time it kind of thought well maybe I should do it you know maybe I could do it you know maybe maybe I could do it and I kind of put the thought out of my mind uh just because you know you hear a lot of podcasts they say it's a lot of work um I didn't have obviously have any recording software didn't have any recording equipment um you know the I I knew that it would be um a lot of effort in terms of research and that kind of stuff um i knew i wouldn't be able to uh potentially financially you know put it up in terms of the research material and whatever else you know there was just a lot of things that i thought "Mm, yeah maybe it's not gonna that's not gonna cut it you know i'm not gonna be able to do it and whether i just basically had the mental capacity and fortitude to actually do it um so i uh, yeah so i kind of sat on it for a while a long while uh where I never told anyone that I'd had this idea. Um and, and then I ended up telling a couple of people and they were like, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. And I was like, Oh yeah. Maybe maybe it's not dumb. And then I sat on it for a little while longer. Um again, just kind of I guess making up excuses. <laughs> um and then uh as I mentioned in episode zero, I went to the uh the Great War exhibit and the Gallipoli exhibition here in Wellington Um, I wasn't living in Wellington at the time but I I came anyway for a couple of other things and we went there for that and that was really at the point where I decided I wanted to do this that was the point where I went you know you you see all these stories of particularly of the people um, you know of who they are what they did and, and and that kind of stuff and that's when I kind of went wow this is all stuff that if you don't come to New Zealand you don't come to these museum exhibits or anything these are stories that are really hard to find these are people that are really hard to know who they are unless you know what you're doing where you're looking and how to find them and you know all sorts of other stuff so I thought that was kind of when I went yeah this is this is kind of part of the reason I want to do it is to bring these stories to the to give a more accessible way to get let people hear about these stories and about these people and who they are and what they did um you know good bad or otherwise um so yeah so that was really when i decided to do it that was really uh you know i came back from that and was really looking at you know microphones and research materials and what to do and all that kind of stuff and yeah and then i wasn't yeah i wasn't really wasn't really sure how to go about it so emailed a couple of people um and uh quite thankfully uh robin pearson of the history of byzantium podcast emailed me back and answered all my questions very well um so really you have him to thank for this for this entire thing is his advice on how to get me going uh is really what you know was when he emailed me back and said look this is what you should do and I went fine I went and did that and that is really what kicked it all off um from there and yeah and so then uh, at that point I'd had the microphone microphone had arrived the books had arrived um I had read the books at least enough to write the first three-ish episodes um and then I moved to Wellington um and i guess the rest is history at that point as i said i i recorded it on new year's day um or the day before new year's day i guess new year's eve um uploaded it and away we went yeah so that was i guess the story of how it kind of started is it all kind of gradually built up uh kind of over time um so there wasn't really uh i i i guess i guess the 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 gallipoli exhibit and stuff was kind of the hard like this is when i decided to do it but even then you know i'd still been thinking about it for a while i'd still had this idea for some time um it's just that i hadn't kind of done it for various reasons yeah so that that you know there was so there wasn't really exactly kind of any kind of hard time although that if you wanted if you need a hard time that's when it was um but yeah it's just something that i gradually kind of thought of over time i built up over time um like for example the 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 opening line "Kelda, good day and welcome i had had that thought up for years before i started um you know i'd, I'd, I'd already i'd already thought about that i'd already known that if i was going to actually do it that was going to be the opening um so that 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 had been built up that had been thought of for years um same with the ending you know hardy to to hockey to my um although i didn't i didn't know that specific thing uh, i didn't know that that was the spe- specific line that I wanted to do uh I did know that I wanted what I called my John campbell uh exit basically on my John campbell finisher um which is um if for any of you in New zealand who uh you'll know John Campbell is a very famous uh journalist uh, he used to have a show called campbell live a news show called campbell live and at the end he would always say um was it and have a very good evening indeed he always said that at the end of every single uh episode of his show and i thought i need something like that i need i need that ender you know for the every episode so i knew i needed that i just didn't know what that would be and then when i actually started the podcast that's when i f- went looking for it found it and you know now now it's what we use so yeah so that's a general overview of kind of how it got started so plans for the future of the podcast so where, where do we go i guess from here is what what you're asking there um so in terms of what is in the immediate future um i have four and a bit episodes already written on tamoko on you know uh maori tattooing um, so we have at least four episodes of that, and I'm partway through writing the fifth. Um, so that's going to be a big one. Um, all about, um, you know, Maori tattooing, what it means, how it was done, all sorts of other stuff. It's going to be really cool. So that is going to be the episode in the next two weeks. The start of that is going to be in two weeks' time from now, if you're listening to this at time of recording. If you're listening to this in the future, the, the episode immediately uh, after this will be the first Tamako episode, so we're going to talk about that for um, five episodes, um, and then after that um, we'll obviously do a a Maori um, a myth, um, at this stage what that will be uh, I don't really know, um, because of course we have finished Maui now, and we have been talking about Maui for quite some time, um, so we can kind of broaden our horizons a little bit. Uh, we may do the myth of how tamoko came to be came into um you know the the mortal plane if you will um so yes yeah, so we might do we might do that story um which we do talk about in the actual episodes uh, but we might do it in that you know the might add, you know that flamboyance uh, i guess of the um of the regular kind of uh, myth and legend episodes so we might I might do that or i might do something else i haven't really quite decided that uh just as of yet uh and then after that um we'll have something else um which i won't tell you just quite yet um and then we'll move on to the rest of the mardi culture uh episodes um so things like you know musical instruments medicine warfare uh food um and anything else that i can come up with and anything else that you think might be relevant or that you think might uh you might want to know you won't might, might, might want me to talk about um so if there's anything you want me to talk about please feel free to contact me let me know um what you want to hear what you want to know um because you know i can always i can always look into it so yeah so that's kind of i guess the immediate future that will so the the, the maori culture episodes will take us i suspect right to the end of 2020 um you know the, what i have planned so far in terms of the tarmockle episodes um and then it will be the 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 myth episode and then it will be the the kind of stuff we're going to do afterwards which is probably going to be two or three episodes you know that's going to take us pretty much right up until kind of april may ish you know that's going to take us nearly halfway to the year um so <laughs> so yeah so it's going to take us quite some time um to just get there um and then you know maybe a couple episodes on musical instruments a few episodes on food a few episodes on medicine a few episodes on warfare a few episodes on religion that's the other one i'm forgetting um you know and if we think 2 to 3 episodes probably average you know say 3 episodes average um you know every 2 weeks you, you know for each topic plus myth episodes in between all of those topics plus Anything else like collabs or special episodes that I find on other stuff or whatever in between, you are looking at probably, yeah, we probably won't finish Multiculture until the end of 2020. Um,. And then after that, um, of course, Abel Tasman's gonna turn up. We're gonna talk about him and who he is, um, and then kind of what happened between As Abel Tasman and Cook. Um, because I don't know what happened between that, so it'll be very interesting to see what happened between him and James Cook. And of course, James Cook turns up, and then everything's turned up to a hundred, and man, this shit really kicks off. Um So, yeah, so James Cook is gonna arrive, and then after him, a whole bunch of other people are gonna arrive, the early uh, colonists and that kind of stuff and then basically the rest of New Zealand history happens um so after that you know early colonists will turn up um at that kind of point we will probably do kind of bit of episodes on where where they came from who they were um a bit about I guess kind of uh British uh culture you know kind of uh culture uh kind of I guess uh, it'll be Maori culture episodes light if you will uh it'll be all about th- you know, similar to the Māori culture episodes, but we'll do it for Britain, uh, because they're primarily, obviously, the people that were coming over. Um, so kind of, you know, what their, their warfare, you know, the weapons and that kind of stuff, the, the military, what was that like? You know, what was the food like? What was the... Um, housing conditions you know why were they coming to New Zealand as opposed to just staying in Europe um you know all that kind of stuff um and it will be stuff that you're probably vaguely familiar with but just kind of put it all into context um of what was going on here because of course um you know they are important as well and we should know and we do need to know what they were doing and why they were doing it just as we need to know what Māori were doing and why they were doing it um because it all fits into that kind of greater whole we will also probably do a kind of world-at-large kind of episode, probably around the time when James Cook arrives or maybe a bit after that, but just kind of a general kind of look at uh, what was going on in the world in terms of who were the big players, what were the major conflicts that were happening, um, you, you, you know, who were the major countries, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff, what was going on and that kind of thing. Uh, just to kind of give some context around uh, or, or pull us out of that vacuum, if you will because at the moment we're really talking about maori culture um and maori in general in a vacuum in the sense that they are not influenced from anything outside of new zealand itself and that's very very easy for us at the moment because by and large um you know in general that is the case there was not any or there was not a huge amount of contact outside of new zealand uh so that's very very easy to do for us at the moment um but of course once europeans arrive and suddenly um you know everything starts happening uh you know you know the the kind of what's going on outside of new zealand becomes immensely more important um than perhaps what it is now in our story so yeah so we need we need to kind of uh contextualize what's happening else. Elsewhere in the world. Because, of course, our view is very narrow as well in terms of, uh, you know, we're just focusing on New Zealand. And then once Europeans arrive, you know, it becomes very much more global in terms of Britain is an entire empire that spans the globe kind of thing. So, you know, we, we just need to give us a bit of context as to what's going on there. Um, and then after that, of course, we will go into, um, you know, the Musket Wars um, and then the Treaty of Waitangi, uh, the New Zealand Wars um and then kind of that will take us probably roughly to about the 20th century and then on to world war one you know and then the the depression years and and you know that kind of stuff world war two um and then on to uh you know the the cold war era uh banning of nuclear uh power and weapons uh the springbok tour um sinking of the rainbow warrior um and all sorts of other stuff obviously that is a just i am blasting over so many things here um yeah you know that but that is a g- very general overview of where we will we will be going um in terms of what kind of what we're going to be talking about there will be so many stories within that there will be so many things within that you know you know like um chinese gold miners and rail workers being brought to new zealand that is a whole thing in and of itself uh you know the gold rush um uh, that happened um the Cody Gum rush essentially that that's a whole thing in and of itself you know there, there are so many things going on in that in those kind of broad topics uh that you know that that i don't even know about you know and that kind of stuff so yeah but that and the extremely broad strokes that is where we are going and of course there's all sorts of other stuff uh that we're going to be talking about as well uh particularly individual people i'm really keen to talk about uh individual uh kind of stories. Um similar to what I did with the Barnett Burns um episode on Pax Britannica. Um go check that out. Um it you know kind of just focusing in on individual people and kind of what they were doing, learning about them, that kind of stuff. So particularly people like Minnie Dean, uh Lieutenant Colonel William Malone, um, you know, th- you know all sorts of different people from all sorts of different times doing all sorts of different things. Um so yeah lots of different stuff about that. Um, and shrek the sheep as well we're going to do shrek the sheep although he might actually be post 2000 which is where we're going to stop um but we'll we'll probably do him anyway just because he's good um and yeah and you know different interviews and that kind of stuff as well so all sorts of um you know really really different stuff the next one we've got is seemingly ridiculous fantasies for the future of the podcast um there are a few actually Um, I do actually have them written on my vague podcast outline that I wrote um, very, very early on. It's a bit defunct now. Um, But there is a few there that I still like to keep just to look at them, mostly. Um, I call them my super mega awesome never gonna happen goals. Um, Some of them might happen, but I doubt it. Um, Some of them are slightly more, uh, I guess, achievable. Um, Things like visiting visiting Wido Bar um you know we talked that about that very early on um how it was one of the first kind of or it's the earliest uh maori settlement that we have in new zealand um it'd be really cool to go there and see what's there and just kind of walk around the place and that kind of stuff and that is very definitely possible in fact it is something that we're probably going to do um now that i've got a gopro and you know we can go and video it and that kind of stuff so that's actually probably actually going to happen at some point which is really cool and doing similar things like that as well you know going to historical sites having a look around um you know making little kind of youtube videos that kind of stuff which kind of ties into one of the other ones which was make a doco thing uh if which in brackets i have put maybe just film yourself going to historic sites to historic sites or something um so i guess that's all kind of part of it right it'd be cool to make a little bit of a of a doco thing or something about an event or a person or whatever. Um, but honestly I probably won't end up making a docker, it'll just be lots of uh YouTube videos uh kind of uh, of me going to these different places and talking about them and that kind of stuff. So yeah, so that'd be pretty cool. Um do something like that. And then we start entering the realm of uh potential things that are a bit more likely to happen, things like making um, Kodu you know that thing from way 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 back it was basically made from cabbage tree hearts um to uh you know turn into like a toffee kind of licorice chewing gummy type thing um so being able to make that and kind of video it and taste it and that kind of thing that'd be really cool um i'm really into um kind of i guess what you'd call living history type stuff being able to go places and do things that people were doing and experience what they were experiencing and see things that they were seeing you know that kind of stuff i like being able to stand in areas and go wow this is where something happened or you know this is what people would have been doing you know Uh, these are the kind of tools that they'd be using and this is how you do this and this is what they'd be eating and this is what tastes like and whatever else i'm really into that kind of living history experiencing it for yourself kind of stuff um So, I guess that's kind of what that is almost uh, indicative of, you know, in the same way that like visiting Wairo Bar was kind of indicative of going to various places in New Zealand. This is kind of more indicative of a a wider idea of doing things that um, could be quite, uh, could be uh, kind of learn more and experience more and that kind of stuff. Um, And in kind of, again, similar vein um, is doing a, a Hans meetup, actually going to the pub and i don't know doing something or going somewhere and doing something i've also gotten brackets with hangi question uh, <laughs> mark so that could be pretty cool if we managed to do something like that if someone who actually knows how to do that would actually be able to um you know facilitate that at a gathering i don't know um but even if it was just going to the pub and just having a few beersies or whatever um you know that is that is something that'd be quite cool to do uh particularly given that at least on my social media I know a number of you do actually live in Wellington um whether you'd actually turn up or not I have no idea but um yeah so kind of meeting up for something that would be quite interesting um just I don't know hang around uh talk history talk all sorts of other things and, and you know it gives, it gives me a chance to meet some of you gives you a chance to meet me um or or whatever you know just something like that um and then we start entering the realm of things that are definitely not going to happen. Um, so, of course, like any history uh, podcaster worth his fucking salt, um, of course I've thought about copying Mike Duncan's idea um, and now um, uh, Robin Pearson's idea of doing a history of Aotearoa New Zealand tour. Um, you know, basically running, going up the length of the country, of the country, and stopping off at various sites, doing various things um history and uh I guess New Zealand um native species related. Uh I don't think that will happen. Um it'd be cool if it did. But I don't think that'll happen. Um so yeah that's kind of I guess the one of the far more far fetched ones. Um probably the it's probably less far fetched than the other thing that is the first thing on this list that I again like this 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 list was written very very early on like within probably the first few weeks maybe even the first few days of me recording the episodes and getting this whole thing going and this was the first thing on my list uh which was make the bob sample and I don't mean like let's make a um you know, let's not make a bit of merch or like a toy or or a plushie or, or some, some bollocks like that. There are no living, living in quotation marks. There are no existing, as far as I'm aware, because they're all dismantled. There are no existing Bob Simple tanks left in the world. Obviously, there was only three made. I would absolutely love to build one as close to the originals as possible and of course that, that that would have a variety of issues um you know whether that particular tractor still exists um you know obviously getting Bren guns would be rather difficult um you know that kind of stuff obviously there's a whole raft of issues not just in terms of practicality but also historical accuracy obviously we'd want it to be as close to the the, the original as possible so yeah, so, but I think that would be a great idea. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could build, uh, you know, get some people involved who actually know what they're doing um, in terms of mechanics and that kind of stuff, um, you know, and actually get a Bob Simple tank that, if it doesn't shoot, at least drives, you know. And again, I guess that kind of ties into the, the, the living uh the kind of living and experiencing history get into the tank lay on the mattress see what it would be like you know that kind of stuff being able to just kind of ride in it drive around in it and see what it would be like i think that would be amazing and not only would it be just something really cool to do it would be really cool to help spread the story of bob semple and his tank and that kind of stuff and really i really think it would be a genuinely great thing to have for history teaching as well you know you know you get lots of places in uh, overseas you know and they have all these uh people that have tanks you know they drive the tank around and they come to schools and stuff and you get to climb on the tank or hang around the tank and ask the guys questions imagine that rocking up to your school and it's like this was our tank this is what we built you know i think that would be i think that would be really cool um but the likelihood of that happening i think is so astronomically out there that like i'm not even i'm not even considering like investigating it at all um maybe maybe one day but man uh it is definitely a, a very out there goal so hopefully uh when asking that question that's what you wanted to know <laughs> was these really weird goals that i have uh so yeah so that's that's what that's what i guess the the kind of very far-fetched goals um that i have are uh Deaf need to know what you wear while recording uh so this was because i just randomly decided to chuck in one of the kind of promos of hey you should ask me questions uh what you want to know if you want to know what i wear while recording um i don't, I don't know how to tell you guys this i just wear my dressing gown and that's it, usually, (laughs) I don't, sometimes I'll add other clothes, like I I am actually wearing more than that now, but more often than not, I am not wearing very much at all, and this is just because I'm at home, and I am comfortable, um, and that is what I feel like when, you know, that's what I wear when I'm comfortable, some people wear, you know, stretcher pants, some people, you know, wear, um, i wear my dressing gown where do your listeners live what's the most surprising thing about your listenership um so unsurprisingly to start with um about 50 percent of listeners come from new zealand or based in new zealand which makes a lot of sense um you know you'd expect a new zealand history podcast would be would have people generally living in new zealand um which I think is is obvious on the one hand that pe- most people from New Zealand you know the the the, the most popular region that this um, uh, podcast gets to is is New Zealand the place that it's about but I also think it definitely illustrates uh, the kind of need for this at the moment in New Zealand if you're if you're keeping up with kind of vaguely New Zealand um, current affairs I guess um, it's recently been uh announced or i say recently it was back in september uh that it was announced that new zealand history in schools would be compulsory um which as i mentioned earlier it's not at the moment because i didn't get taught it it was at teacher discretion but now as of i think it's 2021 it will be compulsory to have some stuff and they'll be talking about the new zealand wars or any, uh, early uh, European colonization, you know that kind of stuff, um, and to and, and uh, what Maori were doing before that, so kind of roughly all the stuff that we're going to talk about, and of course in an age-appropriate manner, obviously. So, so that's kind of a big thing at the moment, and I really think that this, the fact that most of my listenership, uh, or at least the largest group of my listenership, is in New Zealand really shows that there is a need for this that really shows there is a desire and a hunger and a real feeling to that people want to know this stuff but there has not been a good way to get at it short of reading very large and sometimes very dry books um you know so that that i think it's really indicative of that 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 people really want this and i think that's on the one hand great that's that's awesome that there is a need for that there is a want for that and people are keen to get to it you know they're keen to get at it it's just that the access has not been has not been there and that's kind of how i view myself i am filling this gap of access i'm filling this gap that people don't want to read large dry books and i don't fucking blame you they are very large and they are sometimes extremely dry you know and that but but that's but turning it in that into something accessible and easy to listen to that's what i think is missing or has been missing up until myself came along and that other uh radio new zealand one that we don't mention (laughs) also came along (laughs) um so yes, i feel that that's that is what has been missing so i'm really glad that at least in my eyes, it seems that I am filling that gap. That people are, you, you know, it was just it, it wasn't that people didn't want to know. It's just people didn't know how to get at it, or just didn't want to get at it, and because it was in the, uh, the most boring form, essentially. So yeah, so unsurprisingly, uh, most of my listenership, um, or at least the largest proportion of my listenership, comes from New Zealand. Um, and the next bit did surprise me was that it has uh hans has apparently some worldwide appeal um about 20 to 21 percent if i remember rightly comes from the states from the u.s um now the, in terms of it being the u.s is the next largest that's not probably that surprising uh given that you know the u.s tends to be one of the larger um you know uh, consumers of podcasts um i think australia is the is the next kind of largest consumer or one of the largest consumers of podcasts so it's not that's not surprising um i probably would have if i had to pick i probably would have picked the united states as my second big, biggest but one-fifth of my listeners i wouldn't have i wouldn't have guessed that um so that's really interesting you know about one-fifth of my listeners uh, are from the united states and then it's about I think 10% are from Australia, um, about 5% from uh, Great Britain, uh, and I think there's about 5% from Canada as well. Um, so it, it, it's very clearly uh, more popular in I guess what you'd call the Anglosphere, the the you know the English speaking countries, um, you know former British Empire, current Commonwealth, you know those kind of countries. Obviously, it's going to have more appeal in those countries, partially because you know New Zealand history is intertwined with um a lot of those nations or those nations have experienced similar uh histories uh at the hands of the british empire if you want to put it that way um so it makes sense that those those countries would be interested but also of course because the podcast is in english so it makes sense again that the english-speaking countries would tend to favor um you know the or the the, the podcast would tend to be favored in those countries as opposed to say um you know uh like European other European countries France and Germany or even uh you know Asian countries as well um and that kind of thing where English is you know still spoken but less prominent than other languages um so yeah so the surprising thing was that does have worldwide appeal um you know I I look on um, a website called Chartable which is quite popular among uh podcasters and I reasonably frequently prop up uh, or crop up in um the history charts for other um other countries um I I come up in Australia every so often which is probably not super surprising um but places like Denmark, Switzerland um uh, Mexico I was in briefly um I think Italy briefly um you know you, you end up obviously sometimes you know a few people will watch something or listen to it and then that shoots it up um but and you know, and then it might only do that for like a day or so. But generally, at least at the moment, um, you know, Switzerland and Denmark, uh, I tend I tend to be quite high in them, uh, reasonably consistently. Which don't know why that is. Um, so hello, those of you from Denmark and Switzerland. Um, but I don't know why you're listening. I don't know what makes you guys particularly interested in New Zealand history, but apparently you are. So. Yeah, so that was kind of surprising, is uh, some of these kind of, um, yeah, kind of these countries where I, uh, not just like sometimes uh, occasionally popular, you know, maybe, yeah, as I said, a few people just listen to it and that, tend- that might just push me up for a couple of days, but seemingly are consistently listening for some time, um, which is great. That's awesome. Um, it's just, yeah, I never really guessed it would have had, this much worldwide appeal, um I suppose you could say all right on to some other stuff. What is your favorite New Zealand bird, mammal or extinct species? so let's give one of each uh my favorite New Zealand bird is uh that's a really difficult one actually um my favorite tends to be whatever I've just learned something about recently um so I was really into the hehe from the you know the previous episode that we did um uh not too long ago but i am quite partial to the ruru the more pork i think they are really an amazing kind of bird just it, and it all really comes down to the way that they sound um you know that they are you know they, they they're named more pork because of the sound that they make because it sounds like someone saying more pork um and that's just, it, it's amazing in and of itself, but also it's amazing that when you hear them out in the wild, they are just so haunting, they are, um there's something about it that really makes it sound disturbing, and just, yeah, just something about it makes it sound really haunting and disturbing, particularly when it's, you know, it's obviously at night, um, you know, it's really dark, and you know that kind of stuff so yeah it's just it's um yeah they're really really kind of i guess sort of thematic animals i guess if you want to call it that but i also like things like um you know kingfishers are awesome um things like obviously the classics kia kākāpō um weka are really cool um i like all new zealand birds i don't really have one that I particularly like I quite like penguins as well I've worked with penguins before uh, things like uh, yellow-eyed penguins or little blue penguins I have had sp- specific involvement with um, in terms of I've actually physically hand- handled them um, so that's really cool Keteru, um I've had uh, I've looked after one of those as well um, you know all sorts of different things um, are really really amazing they're all in, at least in New Zealand uh, you know they're all vastly unique um obviously you know lots of different places have very unique animals uh, but new zealand a lot of our, our birds are just something entirely different um compared to other places in the world and compared to each other even as well so yeah so I, yeah i can't really guess i, I guess pick one uh, my favorite new zealand bird uh favorite new zealand mammal um if we're i mean in, in that regard there's not a lot to choose from there um because if we're talking about native native mammals, um, there's only two. Uh, and they're both bats. So I guess i got to say bats. Um, native New Zealand mammal bats. Because uh, all the other ones are ruining the environment. And we, I don't really like them for that. And in, in terms of extinct species, um, the huia is a really nice um, looking bird. That's part of the reason why it's extinct. Um, but the it, it probably has to go to uh something like the hast eagle or uh squawkzilla uh, as they've now dubbed it um which is the one meter tall parrot um or the uh i think it's called the waitara giant penguin uh which is like a penguin that's basically the size of a person it's huge um you know things like uh obviously the moa is a really cool one um yeah all sorts of different ones again not really there's a lot to choose from when it comes to extinct species unfortunately um so yeah lots of different ones there i don't know if i could really pick one but probably hast eagle hast eagle is super cool in just its size and its kind of power and i guess the mythos kind of around it you know it's kind of got this lore and kind of this feeling of um yeah i guess grandeur around it as well can anything in fact beat wellington on a nice day okay for starters the actual saying is beat wellington on a good day but i'll let you away with that one um i would personally probably say a, a hashtag dunner's stunner um which is a ni- what they call a nice day in dunedin um because the thing about wellington is it's always windy wellington when it when it's a nice day like it is now i'm looking out my window and it is a nice day but it'll be blowing its ass out out there and that's that's a problem Yeah, you know, it's always a problem so yeah it's a nice day but or it's a good day but it can definitely be beaten by the fact that if it wasn't blowing its guts out uh it would definitely be a lot better so there's that so on to more kind of history-based questions now although you've been listening to me talk history uh for basically this whole episode um but that's what we do here i don't know why you didn't expect it if you didn't so you know but uh what period of history are you most looking forward to talking about and why that isn't bob semple and his tank <laughs> um yeah you definitely you definitely called me out on that one um but what was the what period am i most looking to forward to i think um the The kind of conflicts and, I guess, uh, interactions between Europeans and Māori is something that I am very excited to talk about. Um, Which I guess it doesn't really extend to any kind of uh, particular, uh, I guess, period or event or anything like that. But I I guess if you have to pick the poster child for that, it would be the Treaty of Waitangi. The Treaty of Waitangi is one of the things that I feel makes New Zealand really unique in what it is in terms of its um, I guess uh, kind of its founding and its makeup and its uh, cultural interactions and its political and economic landscape and all sorts of other things so and and that at, at the very least makes New Zealand interesting in its interactions between Europeans and Māori um you know all throughout history so that's the kind of stuff that i'm really interested to talk about you know how kind of the treaty of waitangi how did, how did that kind of happen how did that go down what does that mean um you know of oh, 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 the obvi- other obvious one i guess being you know when the early explorers turned up Abel tasman james cook um you, you know what were their interactions like yeah, I guess kind of the period I, I like I, I'm looking forward to is the the Treaty of Waitangi and the New Zealand Wars, even the Musket Wars, um, you know, and and that kind of stuff. I think that's probably going to be you know World War One, World War Two, all of that. That's also going to be really interesting. But I feel like I guess that the kind of 1800s that is the kind of period I think that I will enjoy personally the most, and that I am looking forward to uh, looking into the most um so yeah so the next one is a bit of a long one so it says i'd love to know what your political opinion is on history taught in schools when i grew up we were taught about a whole bunch of crap that was probably great history however i couldn't relate to any of it whereas now i'm in my 30s i love your podcast thanks very much it's interesting for kiwis my kids love it what i let them listen to that is should the New Zealand curriculum be completely overhauled? If yes, would you consider signing up for Education Minister? Uh I'm gonna answer that second question right off right out of the gate. Uh no. Uh I will not get into politics at all. Um, I think it's bollocks. Um I don't think it's I don't think it's worthwhile <laughs> in that front. Um I also generally most of the time have no idea what I'm talking about. So, you know, there's that. Um but in terms of the, the I guess the wider point of your question, um the New Zealand curriculum, I've kind of alluded to this already, I guess, but it, it definitely does need to be overhauled, and it is going to be overhauled in terms of history. Um so that's great that New Zealand New Zealand kids are going to learn about our history, about where we came from, who we are, and I guess what that means for today and how we got here but also what that means for how we need to look at things and how we proceed into the future because um, of course that's you know that's essentially what it's all about right so yeah it does definitely need to be completely overhauled and i guess it it already is it is going to be overhauled but the question is how do you teach history because just how how you teach it is just as important as whether we should teach it um obviously we've decided that we should teach it but how do we teach it? What parts do we teach? What do we focus on? What do we not focus on? And, you know, I guess, in what light do we focus on it? Um, and that's kind of, the, I mean, I grapple with this nearly every day. You know, how do I present these uh, these things? How do I portray them? How do you set them up in, in the most unbiased light as possible, in my case? um of course i'm i I would assume that the government doesn't want to put any bias on certain things but you never know right you know you never know what kind of agenda people have uh in terms of the people making the curriculum how they you know how do they what do they want to portray how do they want to see have people see things you know so you never know um but yeah i think i think the, the 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 really big question is how do we teach it how do we teach it Uh, our history to kids and how do we teach it to people in general personally i think we've got to teach it in the most unbiased light as possible um and that's again as we uh, mentioned earlier that's not always going to be possible you're not always going to be able to do that uh but it's something we should strive towards i feel it is definitely something that we should at least try to do is try to teach it as unbiased as we possibly can and obviously we should make it age appropriate obviously kids aren't Uh, you know depending on the age aren't gonna uh, you know you probably shouldn't be teaching kids about um, you know very gruesome things and that kind of stuff or giving them very gory details Uh, but at the same time of course there are certain concepts that younger kids are just not going to understand Um, so I guess a lot of it is what what do we focus on as well Um, you know what events do do we focus on what people do we focus on um, and that kind of stuff and personally for that level if you're talking you know like kind of high school and kind of earlier it's really the big picture stuff i feel personally you know obviously the treaty of waitangi is something that they should focus on is that is an extremely important event um but they will be focusing as well on the you know the new zealand wars um you know the early colonial era and that kind of stuff and i feel that that's probably the way to go yeah so i definitely think uh, at least in this early stage of what i've read a little bit about um i think what the government are doing is 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 pretty good gets a thumbs up from me um that that opinion may change depending on how things go forward um but hey you know i i think you know acknowledging you have a problem is the first step to fixing the problem is kind of how i feel about it our next question is wanted to ask what piqued your interest in learning the maori language is there more than one dialect or a single maori language Uh, So what, I guess, what what piqued my interest um, is the fact that it it is one of New Zealand's official languages, Um, you know, in the same way that, you know, you go to France and one of them is French, it is something that is part of who we are, and you see it everywhere in New Zealand, you see it on signs and sides of buildings and in the news, on the TV, you know on my computer everywhere it's, it's it's literally everywhere which is awesome but i don't know a lot of it i don't know what a lot of it means i do now now that i've learned a lot of different words and what those mean you know you can infer what certain things are and what they're trying to get at and that kind of thing and i guess that's part of it is trying to it's all about broadening your horizons broadening um you know trying to uh, think in different ways and trying to see things in a different light, and, and learning a different language is all kind of part of that. Um, so, you know, that's, I guess, what kind of... It, it, you know, that's part of what, why, what piqued my interest about it. But also because you can't talk about New Zealand history without... with uh, w- w- Without te reo. You just can't. There is no way... There is no way I could do the stuff we've been talking about so far without actually... Uh, without including te maori somewhere along the way um so yeah so uh, that's kind of all it's all part of it right it's all about broadening your horizons and and getting it into the podcast and and um you know pr- spreading it around for other people as well you know i hope a lot of you overseas have learnt um at least a couple of new words um you know that maybe you even use in your everyday life which would be really cool um so it's all about that's kind of what it's all about and it's just it's just interesting I mean, I've I, i I've always been kind of interested in kind of etymology, um, you know, what makes up words, how how do we use words, where do they come from, um, you know, language in general and, and how that English differs from other languages and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so that's kind of, I just, I'm just generally interested in language in general. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of part of it as well so yeah so hopefully one day we can get a kind of a, a language expert on who i guess somewhat specializes in throw um to kind of talk about it and um to kind of uh to kind of uh, talk to us about yeah kind of how the language is made up and what that means for um you know the language in terms of how it relates to other languages and how it changes the way you think because the way, the language you speak does change the way that you think um and and also what i'm really interested is in is about how it was taken from a completely oral language without any written to how it was now written um one of the things being that i recently learned that lots of other um or but all the other in fact uh polynesian languages they were the same and they all have um f the in their alphabet essentially in their written alphabet um to make the sound you know make the typical f sound um when they were transferred from totally oral to written um so they all have that f in their in their um written language new zealand doesn't though or te reo maori doesn't though it it only has the w h which makes the f sound makes the f sound which is obviously rather curious for a number of different reasons because for one, you know, if everyone else has got the F, why do we not have the F? And for at least most people, WH is not an intuitive F sound. So why why do we have that and no one else does? And from what I understand, uh, citation needed on this, but this is what I've been told, is that it is because the guy who was doing it, or one of the lead guys who was turning te reo Maori into a written language spoke Gaelic or he or he um he was from, you know, that kind of Irish, Scottish region of the world, and he spoke Gaelic. And so, in Gaelic, apparently WH makes that F sound, it makes the f sound. So that's what he did. He went, to me this is intuitive, I'm gonna put it in the language. And so that's why you get things like that, you know, with things like Fakatane, um or Farno, and that kind of stuff you know the, the wh makes the f sound because the guy was gaelic and it's in gaelic and as to is there a single dialect or a single maori language this is a question for someone a lot smarter than me um but from i guess what i understand it's all different dialects right it's it's um you get lots of different kind of uh things going on uh depending on where um what region you're looking at essentially Um, so things like people around, uh, Whanganui, uh, they don't use the WH as an F sound, um, because Whanganui is actually spelt W-H-A-N-G-N-U-I, yeah? Anyway, it's got the WH at the start, right, but it's not pronounced with the F sound, with the F sound, unless you speak Te Reo Māori from a different area. So if you're, say, from, I don't know, Wellington, say you're from Wellington, you know you'd call it whanganui not wanganui whereas people from wanganui would call it wanganui and so that's kind of a a a little bit of a dialect uh thing there right it it, it is a um you know slight difference similar thing down with um in kind of the south island um with Naitahu, uh they uh replace the ng in things like nai um they replace it with a k So, actually, when referencing themselves, they will often call themselves kaitahu instead. Um, So, that's, again, another kind of dialectic difference, I I, I guess that's what you'd call it. Um, So, yeah, so from what I understand, it's it's, it's different dialects. Um, There are a few different dialects, and I don't think... It, it, the, the problem with it is, is it is a bit uh messy at the moment because of course a lot of these Ewe lost their language for a number of years i think nāti kahununu is one of the big ones that just outright lost their dialect for a couple of decades and so trying to build that back is near impossible because no one is alive anymore that had it before uh you know that actually knows it so so it's a bit hard right because some areas will have i guess a their own kind of very particular dialect and some will have less so and yes it's all a bit messy uh so again not really something i think i am qualified um to to answer in any kind of uh informative way (laughs) hopefully that gives you a general idea at least so hopefully as well we can find someone who knows a lot more about that um and then we can get them on which would be awesome all right our next one is if you're not of maori ancestry why are you so interested in their culture now i'll be entirely honest i'm slightly confused by this question um just because i i don't think having any particular ancestry need to needs to be a predecessor essentially, or a predication to being interested in a culture. Um, I'm not of French, German, Mongolian, Chinese, or American ancestry, but I'm all interested in those cultures as well. You know, I, I'm not necessarily limited to just Māori culture, I'm interested in history in general, which of course involves all sorts of different cultures African cultures, you know, um, Polynesian cultures. Um, Native American cultures, you know all, all that kind of stuff, um you know Asian cultures, European cultures, all of it. I'm interested in all sorts of different things, and for a good ninety percent of it, I have no fuck up up and no ancestry back to it at all, so yeah, so I'm not really sure what kind of answer you're expecting with this one uh dear listener, I'm afraid, um because yeah, I just don't think there needs to be i don't think i need to be or have any maori ancestry to be interested in maori culture um but i guess if if you if you really want an answer it's because it is part of the culture here in new zealand you know it, it is all around me nearly every day uh at least in terms of um you know the the language it's i see it every day uh, but you see a lot on the news. You know, you'll see things like Hui and Porfidi, and uh, you know all sorts of other things. Um, and it's just, it's everywhere. It's all around us, it's, or at least me here in New Zealand. So it, you know, it stands to reason that I should learn more about it. On to the next one. While the Maldives were doing their thing in Aotearoa what was happening nearby in Australia, New Caledonia, and Fiji? So just before we crack into this uh, this question properly, um, I just want to address um, the use of the word Māoris, um, as in adding the S to the end of Māori to make it plural. Um, so today reo Māori doesn't have S as a letter, it's just not used. Um, and as such, it's not used as a, an addition to a word to make something plural. Um, so if you want to, for example, make the word Māori plural, you don't need to add anything. Māori is already A plural in the same way that sheep is plural or fish is plural or that kind of stuff so you don't need to do anything there the reason i i wanted to address that not just because um you know to to teach you something because i think that's kind of interesting but also because if you do come to new zealand and you start talking about maoris um some people may take that as a racist remark you know some people might might take that less than positively so you know just be mindful of of that kind of stuff but as to the actual uh question itself again i don't really have an answer for this i i'm not uh i'm not very schooled up as it were in uh the histories of australia new caledonia and fiji uh short of there were people there and they were doing something what that something was i have no idea um so yeah i don't i don't really know And in a similar vein, uh, is there evidence of seagoing trade between New Zealand and Australia during the early Māori period? Uh, As far as uh, I am aware, uh, the answer to that is no. Um, There is, as far as I can tell from the admittedly extremely minimal research I've done into this, uh, there doesn't seem to be any records of Māori being aware Australia was even there. Um so there was no contact whatsoever between um Australian Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people, um, or Māori um early on, or or at all, up until obviously Europeans turned up, um, and then I guess they let everyone know that hey, there's a giant ass desert, like not that far away. <laughs> so yeah, so as far as I can tell, there seems to have been no contact whatsoever um between uh Māori and um aboriginal peoples um or even um other polynesians as well uh there i believe there is some evidence to suggest that maori may have been in contact with um some polynesian island groups um at some point uh particularly early on uh but i don't think there was a huge amount i think once they came to new zealand it was just generally a bit too far um particularly as kind of the the uh, particularly after the early period and that you know the the more sort of transitional tribal periods came about, you know, that was uh it became less and less. Um so it does seem in general, as I mentioned earlier, in general it does seem that maori were fairly isolated um from other um, you know, island and, and, and continental groups and, and that kind of stuff. Now onto some other questions that are just kind of sort of a bit out there and just um i didn't really know where to put them because they didn't really fit into any group uh so do you think the predominance of the all blacks in world rugby is due to a strong culture of rugby in new zealand opposed to in australia where it competes with aussie rules nrl soccer etc um if i'm entirely honest i don't actually follow rugby that much um i only really follow it when there's something exciting happening which is really only uh during the world cup um when we have an extremely good chance of winning except for this year in 2019 when we didn't uh so yeah so but i mean i i guess i'm inclined to say yes um because in general uh you know boys play rugby girls play netball and you know obviously things like soccer um you know is quite popular as well and of course every other sport is you know also exists i guess um but yeah in general rugby is the thing that boys do when they're younger um if you're going to pick a sport rugby is usually the one to do or cricket cricket is the other big one i guess as well it's not as big as rugby i don't think but um yeah so it's yeah i th- I do think it's uh, it, it is because um australia has all these other ones that are you know as close to as close in popularity to rugby as well again citation needed don't really know too much about that (laughs) and the last kind of major question uh, that we have is where in new zealand would you recommend someone from the u.s trying to live in new zealand look first where is expensive where is the best so in general the main centers so that is auckland hamilton uh wellington uh christchurch dunedin they are quite expensive um pretty much all across uh the further north you get in general it gets more expensive auckland is the most expensive as far as i'm aware it is very expensive in auckland it is quite expensive here in wellington uh but as you go further south um it is it does get cheaper um you know dunedin is quite a bit cheaper uh infarcargill is quite a bit cheaper um you know so there is that um so you know that's something to consider is where in the country you want to be and how that impacts how much uh, you want to pay Um, but of course that also impacts how much you can earn Uh, obviously Wellington and Auckland depending on your profession has a lot more opportunities than say Dunedin or Invercargill or even Christchurch in some regards so it depends on what you're doing and kind of I guess where the opportunities are Um, and of course that... uh, as part of that uh, if you go into like the regions you know if you want to live more rurally out in the country that is again quite a bit cheaper Um, but again less opportunities out in the country a lot of people don't want to live out there um, for a variety of different reasons so you know so it kind of depends on I guess where your where the opportunities are and and, and that kind of thing Um, but in general yeah places like Auckland and Wellington going to be more expensive Um, than, say, Dunedin or Invercargill. Um, So smaller areas, smaller opportunities, uh, less people, all that kind of stuff. All similar kind of things I expect you would probably find in other areas of the world as well, um, even in the US. And as to where is the best, um, again, that depends on what what you're looking for. Um, Wellington is kind of, I guess, one of the cultural capitals of New Zealand. It's got a lot going on. There's a lot of events, a lot of festivals, a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, whereas Auckland obviously is a big, big Earth city. I was going to say a big city, but I suppose by uh, uh, United States standards, it's not a big city. Um, but you know that has a lot more things happening. But of course the traffic is terrible. But yeah, so that's different. Whereas Dunedin and Vicargo, for example, a lot quieter. Um, you know, but there's a bit less going on. You know, Dunedin is trying to get lots of gigs. You know, like lots of big acts coming down. Musical acts in particular coming down, but they don't tend to go there because, you know, it's not it's not as many people, you know, that kind of stuff. Um Dunedin in particular is a student city. So if you live in say North Dunedin, it's gonna be filled with students for six months of the year, um, and with everything that comes along with it. Um, Dunedin is also very cold. It's one of the coldest places in the country, same with, you know, like Southland and Otago in general. Um whereas it's a lot more warmer, a bit more uh, tropical not quite tropical but you know a bit warmer up in the north um you know and, and yeah so i guess it kind of depends on what you're looking for um so i guess I, I haven't really answered your question um it really does uh really does depend but if i i guess you say you know where would you look first uh, auckland would be the place that you look first because uh that is essentially the place that's going to have the most opportunities because there's the most people there um so i think yeah, but if you're not keen on Auckland, uh, Wellington is, at least from what I've experienced, your next best bet. Um, Wellington is great. I love Wellington. So yeah, but again, I'm biased because I live here. So, there's that. And so that brings us to the end, basically, of our final episode of 2019. Um, But what I thought I might do, just very briefly, is to kind of give you some stats of uh, what we've done uh in this first year because this is quite quite frankly this has quite astounded me how big this has gotten um i started this podcast nearly as as i've been kept repeating nearly one year ago uh just in my room you know with a microphone talking to this microphone about stuff that i'd researched and i mean i still do that but i had no idea if anyone would listen i had no idea if people would find this interesting i had no idea if i was just talking to the void and i was just putting this thing up and it would be ignored for forever basically um but i i will admit to blow my own trumpet i will admit i that i at no point did i feel this could not be successful at no point have i felt that you know even when i felt whether uh, you know asking myself whether anyone's going to listen to this i at no point did i feel that this didn't have potential i've never felt that this couldn't be successful it's just i didn't think it would be this successful this fast um you know i i had set myself a lofty but achievable goal of hitting the number one history podcast in New Zealand within, say, the first two or three years. I thought, you know, and if that didn't happen, then fine. You know, if, if I was really speaking out into the void, then, wow, you know, whatever. But I felt that it was achievable. It could be done. I felt I could become the number one history podcast listened to by Kiwis, you know, within the first few years. I ended up doing that within the first eight months, which is quite frankly mind-boggling at least to me to take that even further we are regularly in the top 200 out of all podcasts listened to by new zealanders so out of that every genre out of every uh podcast that people in new zealand listen to we are consistently up there we are consistently within the top 200 uh the latest uh i think the highest i've ever been which was recently was number 40 four zero, which is amazing you know i i didn't think i could be the number one podcast in new zealand i didn't think that that was possible i was happy with my very small corner being like yeah i could probably get to number one in history uh in new zealand i could probably achieve that it's gotten to the point where it looks achievable that we could make it to the, at least briefly, maybe very briefly, we could make it to the number one history pod, number one podcast listened to by New Zealanders, which is mind boggling is just, I cannot fathom being the thing that, you know, being the podcast that is most listened to here in New Zealand um so thank you those of you at least in new zealand who are listening to it and who those stats count towards uh you know thank you for for listening and um you know reviewing us and all that kind of thing um it, it, it it's really great that all of you out there are enjoying you know what what we do what we talk about and all that kind of stuff thank you those of you in New Zealand and thank you those of you um who are overseas um who have listened to the podcast who have um you know have been enjoying it and have been um sending in your uh your feedback as well I've had a number of emails this year um in regards to uh you know people enjoying the podcast and what they want to know about and things that they learned and all that kind of stuff and that is that is amazing I'm really glad that there are people out there who uh um you know all over the world that are listening and are learning new things and that kind of stuff my philosophy or part of the philosophy behind this has uh definitely been if you can come if you can come away from this with one interesting fact that you can tell your workmates that you think is really interesting that's my job done i don't you don't have to remember everything you don't have to be you know you don't have to remember all, all the things that we talk about in every single little detail but if you can come away with one thing and then go to work the next day and go hey I learnt this really cool thing last night then I think that's that's a win in my eyes so yeah so that's kind of I guess what we're trying to achieve is is, is just getting really you know you're not we're not trying to get you to remember everything but if you can remember even just a little bit that is more than what you knew before. That is more than what was out there before. And that's the main thing. So I guess uh, just to try and. Uh, to, for those stats. I did mention stats. Um, since August. Which is when we changed our. Uh, our podcast host. Uh, we have had 45,000 downloads. Which translates to roughly 10,000 downloads a month. Give, give or take. Uh, which is, at least to me, a mind-boggling amount. Which I've said a lot, but it is quite a lot to me that there are, you know, there has been forty-five thousand downloads and listen, listens of Hans uh, all over the world. Um, which is, which is amazing. Which is awesome. So we've really spread our reach quite wide in terms of that. Lots of people, you know listening and learning and all that kind of stuff but not only that um for those of you who might be unaware um the podcast made it onto air new zealand as well um we are on all international flights um on air new zealand planes so if you are on an air new zealand aircraft right now hello um i hope you are having a good and enjoyable flight um to either to or from new zealand or wherever you are going Um, which has been phenomenal um so thank you Air New Zealand for letting me uh talk history stuff um on your planes um so that's really really cool and I've been to a few different things talking about the podcast um in a few different capacities uh as well which has been um really really fantastic this as I said I never really although I never doubted that this could be successful, I did not realize how successful, how rapidly successful, I guess it would be. Um, So thank you all of you who have been listening um, and who have been, uh, you know, sending me emails and and whatever else, or even if you've just listening to this and you've never talked to me, um, hello and thank you to you too. Um, Hopefully you have uh, learned something. So I guess I better start rambling, Uh, it's been about two hours now (laughs) that I've been uh, at least talking, Um, so I better better let let it all go and and, and finish it all off. So that's it from me for 2019, Um, we will be back in the new year in 2020, we will be starting out our chats into Tāmoko, which is Māori Tattooing. Um, as well as a whole raft of other subjects uh, that we will talk about um, in 2020 and beyond so one last time thank you all very much for making hans's first year as immensely excess uh, let's let's try that again eh? making hans's year as immensely successful as it has been Um, and i hope all of you um, have a very fun and safe new year as always Party to watu hockey to my see you next time